the new week, Monday 29th of May, we're approaching tax return season, it's going that bloody quick Trav. Mate, are you going to start selling your uh, your shares for some tax loss harvesting? Or? Oh Dave, well you got to, you need some gains to offset the losses, so we haven't got to that stage yet, so anyway <laughs> hopefully in the next decade and if I'm still married uh, Money Miners, today, mate, we are getting into a bit of a Wailu Mincor update, Trav's done a bit of a deep dive and we've got a bit of an unpack coming and then uh, we're also going to go into, you would have noticed in the news and it was in the West Australian Mr. Beeman and Mr. Stralo looking sensational in the West Australian lads developer signed a JV agreement with Jawal contracting services. Um, so we're going to go into that and also talk about ESG in general, native title and the importance of it and what other companies are doing good in this area of mining. Travis Ricciardo. Hey, mate. Mate, we've um, mate, we've even got a crowd today, but due to the anonymity of this whole thing, this person shall remain secret, but we have an audience. We're recruiting some research help. So if there's any claps or laughs or... Uh, anything like that, we do have a guest. So we're going to um, replace Jonas while he's away. The you know? mystery begins. Yes, right, mate. Wilo Mincor, what's going on here, mate? There's a bit. Uh, where, oh, geez, another. We know a lot about M and A these days after the St Barbara and Genesis side of things, and there is some comparisons with what's going on with Wailua and Mincor and the situation that St. Barbara are in. So we'll get into that. There is, mate. I read the announcement today and I had a bit of PTSD. Oh, God. We're gravitating back towards this so-called field of, I don't know if you call it expertise, but maybe we will be. So, Trav, what is happening with uh, Wailua and Mincor, mate? Why isn't it finalised? What's going on? there's a bit to unpack here, right? Like there's, you know, baked into this announcement that Mincor have put out today, there's a production update, there's potential for Mincor to default on the debt facility. There's, you know, some more insight as to the the product that's being produced by Mincor and, and how it being on spec or off spec and their, their offtake with BHP. And all of that is happening in the context of this um, takeover offer from Wailu. So yeah, I think- Trav, lot- can I compliment you first up for- our- feel that you're holding your breath so well at the moment <laughs> after the amount of research you've been doing. That first sentence was sensational, mate. I totally. reckon you're... Uh, you you, you got to set the scene up front and then you can lose. You have permission you to lose your breath. And you can start losing yourself. <laughs> <laughs> right. Get into it. Oh, so... Yeah, mate. It's um. I think I think it's actually also going to be important just to remind the money miners a bit of a timeline here because I think a lot of people have probably lost a bit of interest in Mincor. Like, who's really still following the story of this stock? You sort of, you know, you've been following the headlines. You think, um, you yeah, think it's a foregone conclusion. Yeah, well, that you saw the announcement that they're over fifty percent. You sort of just think, um, oh, okay, well, you know, that one's going to just fall off the ASX, and I think that's all a reasonable thing to do and I was pretty disinterested too but I'm just still sort of reading the announcements as they come through and I think this one is probably worth unpacking but I will unpack it after we just remind the money miners of the timeline here and I mean the timeline it's not not a bloody long one mate I remember we we, we talked about this you know when we started the show back in um back in March so yeah it was one of the first stories yeah yeah, yeah exactly so like the timeline for the money miners um Mincor, they received an on-market hostile takeover 
offer from Wailu on the 21st of March, right? Nine days after that, Mincor disclosed to the market that they were having some operational challenges. There was, you know, some product that they were producing wasn't meeting the specification for BHP. And then four days after that, Wailu, they reaffirmed their $1.40 per share offer price, but they declare that offer price best and final. So they can't increase the value of the, the bid there. Um, and then on the 24th of April, so look, only about a month after they made the bid, what you saw was um, Wailu, they'd, they'd gone over the 50% acceptances. So there's, you know, change of control event there. They're, they're greater than 50%. Um, and then the acceptances sort of slowed down a bit. You saw Wailu extend the offer period a couple of times publicly. Um, on the 8th of May, Wailu, they put out this supplementary statement to the market where they actually sort of just indicated that if they can't reach the 90% acceptance threshold, then, you know, there's a chance that Mincor may ultimately be delisted from the ASX. And then IGO ultimately sold their $52 million stake into the offer on the 12th of May. And on Friday last week, Wailu announced the final extension to the offer period and they basically announced that their offer period is going to close on the 5th of July, 2023. So just over a month from now, Maddie. And I think just in between that as well, Trevor, if everyone remembers, before they put in that best and final, when they did the initial hostile takeover, I think Mincor went up to like $1.60-odd because the, yep. market, the market was thinking, yep. um, uh, is a BHP going to go in this? Was there a bit of a pending, a bit of a takeover battle yep. happening? But then this, um, I think it was high arsenic off-spec nickel sort of come yep. in, which sort of was went against, not favourable towards Mincor. And then it's like, nah, best of final dollar forty. Exactly. Um, so there was a, yeah, there was a bit of a spike, but then it retreated back. Exactly. Yeah, the, the operational... Um, issues as, as they were disclosed, basically, you know, saw that that dollar forty look like a pretty good price um, relative to what the risks might be there during a during a ramp up period. So it sort of you know paved the pathway for a deal to get done in a relatively quick quick time frame. Um, but you're right, yeah, the market was totally pricing in the potential for an interloper to come in there and create a bit of a a bit more of um, a, a, an auction for the asset. But you know, we haven't we haven't seen that today. And and what what we saw today though, Maddie, was you know. Wailu, they're now at 73%. They need to get to 90. They're at 73%. Um, and we see Mincor put out this operational update. So let's unpack the interesting things in this announcement today. The main one to me is that their current cash flow situation and the potential impact that that could have on their syndicated debt facility with BNP Paribas. Right. So is that... Uh in layman's terms, Trav, another, I guess, debt covenant issue similar to what St. Barbara were going through with their bank lenders, which was affecting, I guess, the timeline or creating mm. a timeline for the Genesis thing. Is this similar to what we're talking about here? Mate, it's exactly that. Um, you know, you take a look at the, the cash flow situation that they disclose in this announcement. In the last two months since their March quarterly came out, what Bincor are saying is that they've had cash outflows of $43 million and only receipts from sales of $26 million from, from BHP for their product to date. So, you, you know, you can see there's a bit of a cash flow issue there. It's not entirely uncommon during a ramp up, but why does it really matter in the context of the deal at play here? 
Well, it's because Mincor, they have a, a $27.5 million um, revolving credit facility with BNP Paribas. That's that bank we were talking about. And it looks like they're going to be in breach of one of the debt covenants with, in, in relation to this facility. So yeah, very similar to the, the St. Barbara situation that we were, we've been talking about plenty. The, the covenant at play here is a, a historic debt service cover ratio when it's set to be measured as at 30th of June. Now, Mincor, they've requested a waiver for this, but if the waiver is not approved, you know, they say it would be an event of default. So it's not a, is it the same as, is it a review or is it an actual, they will be in default or? Yeah, if, I mean, if it's measured at 30th of June and they're in breach, then what they're saying is it would be an event of de- default. However, you know, speaking to your point about a review date, um, what's actually happened is when when Wailu uh, got over the 50% acceptance threshold, that that in itself triggers a review date. And so in relation to that review date, um, BNP Paribas, they have until the, the 19th of June to conduct their their review as well. So the, the crux of the announcement is, um, or, or at least this cash flow component, is Mincor really kind of flagging to the market that they could have some pressure put on to them from their lenders for this um, you know, revolving credit facility if they're potentially in breach due to some of the, the cash flow issues at play at the moment during a ramp up phase. Now, does that, does that open up a similar situation that the deal could then possibly be recut if they do breach those debt covenants? I think not in this case. I mean, this yeah. is an unconditional takeover offer. So it's, it's not like well, um, the yeah, net debt threshold. Taken. Yeah, so yeah. it's completely unconditional, right? Um, but I think what it, what, what it does do though, is it probably um, if you're one of the, the, you know, the 20 odd percent of shareholders that, that haven't, um, you know, sold your shares into the, into the Wailu offer yet, it's, it's putting some degree of kind of pressure on you as a shareholder um, you, you, might, you might be worried about what the outcome of Mincor could be if you don't sell into the shares, uh, if you don't sell into the offer and, and, and what happens to the, to the company if that doesn't happen. And yeah, because the big, the, as you said, the big key difference to this with the issues with St. Barbara and that, this is just they, while they already have 70% of the stock, mm. so they're not, uh, it's not an asset sale. Yeah. So, so let's unpack this right, Maddie. So there's a cash flow problem and there's a potential that, you know, BNP Paribas ask for their money back. What could actually happen in this situation? And keep in mind, it's 27 and a half million bucks in the context of, you know, Mincor's kind of total equity. Um, it's not much really. So probably twiggered by that for his bloody, his birthday party <laughs> on site. Nothing in. I mean, and I would, I would have thought that, look, a waiver could, could probably be provided in a relatively straightforward manner here, given, um, given their sort of line of sight to a Wailu takeover completing potentially BNP Paribas might be worried that the takeover won't complete and so they need some more assurance um so but I would have thought the wave would be relatively straightforward if not though like let's think about what options Domingo actually have here um and because Wailu's offer is already best and final right like what are there any limitations for Wailu to actually provide additional funding during this takeover phase you know, give, um, given the fact that, you know, their, their, their deal's already best in the final, does that, are there any restrictions there? So we had to think about what the certain possibilities could be here. And Maddie, I'm keen to talk about what the three options I think are on the table here for, for Mincor in, in terms of sort of resolving this, um, this potential cash flow issue mid takeover. 
And those three are, Trav. Well, mate, the first one, um, let's think about like if, if Wailu provided just a working capital loan to Mincor right now, right? Like what, what are some of the limitations if they did that? Well, I had, I had to ask Mr. Spectre for some, some advice here, mate. Are there any sort of limitations on their ability to do that? And what Mr. Spectre has told us is that it would require shareholder approval under ASX listing rule 10.1. And keep in mind, that would be a vote in which, you know, Wailu's 70 odd percent can't actually yeah. count for that vote. Um, you know, plus there'd be a fair and reasonable determination um, by an independent expert required as well. So like y- you can just imagine that's um, a bit unpalatable at this stage of a, an M&A process. It takes too long. It's too complicated and there's no certainty you'd even get, get an okay. So, you know, while they're listed on the ASX, you can sort of think that that option seems pretty out of the realm of possibilities of, of something you'd want to go down. Now, they could, however avoid the requirement for a shareholder vote if if instead of a, a working capital facility, they actually did a rights issue. So like, let, let's think that one through, right? But that, that does that only apply to the 30% or can Wailu participate in that mm, rights Wailu issue as well? Wailu can participate, yeah. Okay, a, right, a rights yep. issue is if you have shares. Yep, so um, they can participate. You have an, an entitlement yep. to new shares. But like, like think of the the dynamics of a rights issue. There's, there's currently a takeover offer at a, a dollar... A dollar forty. So a rights issue. What would you have to price that at? I mean, in my head, it only makes sense to price the rights issue at a dollar forty, as well. And if you're one of the minority shareholders, you're probably not going to participate because you've already got line of sight to getting a dollar forty. Um, and then if you're Wailu, of course you participate, and Wailu probably then could could underwrite any shortfall. And then so it's just it would just be um, one way for Wailu to kind of plug. Uh, a potential cash flow issue there. The downside is though, doing a rights issue takes time. I mean, literally it takes like like six weeks. Um, it's a pain in the butt because you've got to post out all of these um, letters to every single shareholder and there's just, it takes, like there's a level of disclosure you have to go to. Um, they're, they're, they're a pretty And the chance, not, the chance it's going to have low uptake yep. in it. Yeah, but the uptake thing doesn't matter too much because Wailu themselves can just... They'll underwrite it and they'll, yeah. they'll cover any shortfall. But even then, like if there is a shortfall and placing that takes, you know, there's just a process that's drawn out. Um, and I imagine it's just like, you know, given the fact that they, the, the takeover offer only goes until the 5th of July doing this sort of rights issue here would just be a, be a pretty damn um, unorthodox approach, I would have thought. Yeah. So what, in, in its current state, and I know there's a third option, um, what are, what are core shareholders getting at the end of this whole process. So Mincor mm-hmm. remains listed, but Wilo owns it. How's it working for everyone? If it remains listed? Yeah. Like until until the end of the takeover offer, you mean? Yeah. So And like, after that. So at the moment, right, um, it, it, if it gets to the 5th of July and Mincor aren't at the – they don't have 90% acceptances to, to the Wilo offer. So if they're below that, then what, what Wilo have basically flagged to the market in their latest supplementary statement is that they will probably, you know, there's, there's a good possibility that they'll look to delist Mincor. So if you're a shareholder then, um, you know, it's no longer listed on the exchange so you can't easily sell your shareholding. Um, so, you know, liquidity kind of vanishes. It's a pretty, like it's, it's a far less um, appealing sort of dynamic for a shareholder to, to own something that's not listed where you can't easily sell. The alternative though is you can sell into the offer and get your $1.40 cash 
in exchange for that. Now, while we will be wanting to get above the 90% threshold so that it can become a forcible 100% transaction once they're over 90% mm. and they'll end up owning 100%. Um, but yeah, like like the the, the the internal equation for a shareholder is what, why would they not be selling into the offer right now? The usual equation for a shareholder is, well, I'm waiting out to see if a better deal is on the horizon. But where, when there's, what's the probability of a better deal converting when Wilo already owned 70%? It'd be very low, mm-hmm. wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I'll, I'll get to that in a, in a moment. I think let's, so let's talk about what the third option could be to solve a bit of a cash flow issue. Should it come about by the pressure that BNP sort of, you know, put, potentially put forth? Well, the third option would be that Wilo delists Mincor. And if Mincor was delisted, then um, all of a sudden, those ASX listing rules, listing rule 10.1, no longer apply. So they could they could then provide a working capital loan, for example. Um, and in, in that situation, you don't have to adhere to the, the ASX listing rules because it's not on the ASX. And what's the process to delist? Um, does it do they get suspended from trading and then a process to delist? Like I think that? there's just a bit of a notice you have to provide to shareholders yeah. and give them the opportunity to, to 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 sell their shares in advance or whatever. But I think yeah, I mean it's not it's not a, a hugely complicated thing to to delist, and it's not uncommon when you have one shareholder who owns you know seventy five percent of the company for the the company to choose to delist because um that you know the the value add from being listed is is less prevalent in that situation. So like my takeaway though, Maddie, I think the threat of action by BNP, it kind of enhances Wilu's request for the remaining shareholders to sell into the takeover. Like, you know, I also probably think that Wilu should disclose what their intentions are, you know, regarding providing a funding solution so that the remaining shareholders, those ones who are hanging out, can just make a fully informed decision yeah. So are they now? If that was gonna happen, if they delist, um, I guess at the moment, are they relying on the remaining thirty percent of people to be selling their shares on market? So Wilo have got a heap of orders in, or are they doing it off market at the moment? Like, are they contacting all these it's, people? It's an How on market this- takeover bid, and these are pretty—they're not a very common way to do it. But because it's an on market takeover offer. If you are a shareholder of Mincor, you can actually sell your shares today at a dollar forty into the bid. So you get you know certainty of that a dollar forty. Yeah. Um, but until the people make the decision to sell them themselves, they, this could hypothetically stay in the seventy percent until it could, they get to that ninety. Yeah, it could. Uh, and look, if like, what they what what Wailu did is they they declared it would be their final extension of this offer to the 5th of July. So come sort of 5th of July, Wailu is really banking on having greater than 90% acceptances, but there's a chance that they might not be there yet. I, I think there's a couple of other notable things in this announcement to me as well, Maddie. One was just in relation to how they word the stockpiled ore. You see Mincor talk about the fact that they have 26,000 tonnes of ore stockpiled, but it looks like some of that was delivered to BHP and that was determined to be off spec. So I'm, I'm curious if they've taken the ore there and and then it said it was delivered to them and then they've taken it back to their stockpile. I, I, I'm, I'm curious how that's all, all planned out in, in reality. And the other interesting part to me was um, the, the, just the wording around the offtake agreement with BHP. So in the agreement, 
um, there is this minimum annual quantity for, um, for, for, for amount of, you know, product to be provided in a contract year. Now, Mincor, what they say is that if some of the ore mined cannot be placed to BHP, then, that, then they'll fall very close to that minimum threshold. So is there, do you think there's something like, since this Wailu takeover bid, now this is me hypothesising, which is, look, this is the fun stuff, but as soon as this Wailu put this hostile takeover in, then BHP have said, oh, now your ore's off, off spec. Um, is there a strategy point from BHP to make things difficult for Mincor or not? I'm not, I'm not sure. I mean, like the, 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 the timing between the offer from our Wailu, it was like pretty damn tight to that, you know, revelation of the operational troubles. And I imagine those operational hurdles were sort of happening beforehand as well because it was in relation to everything that had happened that quarter. So um, it's it, it, what's the strategy from BHP here? I think the reality is like, um, you know, BHP – like I, I'd underplay the, the the potential that BHP cancel an off-take agreement here. Like BHP, you know, I think the market kind of knows that they definitely want the ore from Mincor, even though um, at the early stages here uh, there might be a bit of high arsenic. Like in the long run, um, Mincor's ore really improves the FEMGO ratio, which which we uh, had a good discussion about on Friday. Good discussion out on Friday and the Poseidon one, if anyone wants to learn about FEMGO ratio, pending to see if I got it all right, but I'm pretty sure I did. Um, Can you put your finger on why they're losing cash at the moment? Yeah. What what have been the main operational or what what is causing it? Yeah, I I mean, like, the the cash flow issue is, like, basically, you know, BHP are not accepting a bunch of their role because it's off spec, so they're having to stockpile it. Um, yeah. I, I'd so say that was the big that's drive. The, that's the main driver of it. That's the reader I have, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, they, they, like some of their cash outflow was in relation to closing out hedges as well. So, um, and yeah, so like like that stuff's all a factor. And it's not uncommon to, to have a bit of a working capital um, hurdle during ramp up. There's often, you, you can often see the light at the end of the, the tunnel though. Um, and I'm and, and Minkor and Wailu, you know, prob- probably can see the light at the end of the tunnel there. Um, you know, the, the interesting question to me is like, can can Wailu provide a funding solution here? And I think like like that kind of relates to is the risk of being delisted real? Um, you know, Wailu, I think I think for them, it makes sense for Wailu to convey to the market that that risk of being delisted is quite a real risk to the Mincor shareholders. And in some ways, if you're one of those remaining shareholders, then, you know, the equation for you, it's sort of, it becomes a bit of a different equation. And I, and I really do think the, the big thing underpinning it all, right, is like, like who is actually waiting out here? Like who are these shareholders, you know, the 20 odd percent of shareholders who haven't accepted the, um, the Wailu offer? What, what are they waiting out for, right? Like the share price has basically stayed flat at $1.40, which is the offer price anyway. So um, the market's definitely not pricing in the potential for anyone else to come in with a better offer. Um, so I, I think that kind of, you know, that, that, that whole dynamic of who might be waiting out here is one that's really interesting to me, especially like when you, when you look at some of the broker reports that were, were out and about before the offer ever came. Um, on Baron Joey's numbers, the bid price of a dollar forty would would factor in, um, you know, an extra 
10 years of reserve life that they're, they're getting out that, you know, that while would have to be getting out from, from Mincor anyway. Um, so, you know, there's a bit of, they're, they're paying for upside already on Baron Joey's numbers. Then you sort of look at it and um, the nickel price has come off about a, a dollar per pound US since the bid was lodged. So all of these factors, you're sort of thinking like, what, what rationale does, does a shareholder have to just be holding off here and not accepting the Wailu offer? That's one that, that I'm a bit curious about and I'm not quite sure what the rationale might be. And holding off at the moment could be a – sounds like it's going to be a detriment because it brings that whole debt covenant side of things into play, which sounds like it could open up a can of worms and bite Mincor on the arse a bit. Yeah, but well, – But what does it do to Wailu? Like if that debt covenant comes in, does that – how would you say that affects Wailoo mostly? Well, I think the debt covenant thing is a, con- is a convenient um, circumstance for Wailoo because it puts extra pressure on the remaining shareholders to accept their offer. In reality, it's not a huge quantum, right? Like like 27 million bucks. You can um, figure out a way around that. I think it could, it, like it would definitely be a lot easier for, for Wailoo if they could solve that issue, um, you know, post owning 100% of Mincor and absent, you know, the, them getting over ninety percent to be able to do that, then, um, like I imagine, they would they would just look to, to delist and um, solve it that way. Because they, they take on they by buying the, all the Mincor shares, Wailu are taking on that debt. Yeah, like that, is, that debt. is that is their debt Absolutely. anyway, and it will be. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. whether they sort it out now or then, it yep. has to be sorted out. Right, let's spitball Wailu's strategy here overall, Trav. Mm. Mincor is, um, and we we did discuss like. BHP versus Wailu, like BHP notoriously look for these, you know, big assets, like I guess big capital, big long mine lives, world-class ore bodies, whereas it appears Wailu are going into that smaller, the smaller end of town looking to, I guess, are they looking to consolidate this region? Is Mincor, I guess, the first play of um, combining a lot of the nickel sulphide, class one nickel deposits in that Cambalda region? Do you see... I, don't, I personally don't think this will be the last little nickel play in this region. It might not be. Right. Yeah, there's plenty of nickel opportunities in the region, right? Um, but those nickel opportunities, they they really all come back to the strategic relevance of the, the BHP Nickel West smelter there. Um, so, like, you know, the, the, the deposits depend on the smelter and the smelter depends on the deposits, Um how it all plays out. You know, like, uh, you know, I think I think BHP Public, you were didn't sort of deem that, that Nickel West operation a, a, a core asset. The way that they think about their future-facing commodities is a bit different now and now it's sort of um, a bit more important from that perspective. Because they will have the – BHP will have the West Musgrave to feed yeah. into that Cambialda concentrator. So I think that – well, that Cambialda concentrator produces that – I think it's a 60-odd percent mat, which then goes to – comes to Perth to then get processed. But remember – oh, do you – I don't know what's the update. I know weren't Wailu and IGO talking about a potentially building another nickel sulfate plant in that Kalgoorlie region, or did that get squashed? Remember they were talking about that at one stage. Mm. So whether that's, I don't, I'm not sure if that's still on the cards or not, because that'll, um, I guess, decouple them from well, BHP. Well, Wailu and IGO came out with um, a bit of a 
they, 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 they won some land allocation in Quinana recently for a bit of a battery Yeah, that's right. So I think, yeah, so how, that, does that, how does that play into their whole sort of plants together? And, and keep in mind, in order for, for Wailu to get to the, where they are right now on the register of Mincor, IGO actually had to sell into their offer, which they, yeah. which they did. So, you know, you can, you can, you can see the two of them are sort of um, – they've got plans in this battery space that, that they've got plans together and, and some of that togetherness actually was born out of the Western Areas deal where, yeah. they, you know, there was a bit of a um, – collateral benefit to to Wailu, to Wailu when they wedged themselves in on that deal. Yeah, so because that can be able to concentrate is just provides that intermediate processing point for BHP to, you know, as we talked about, reduce the volume and send a lower amount of concentrate to Perth because it's at 60%. So whether um, with that what's happening in Perth with the land they purchased with IGO to build that um, battery facility, I guess you would assume all the concentrate from these operations will just be going straight there to produce that nickel grade, I guess that whether mixed hydroxide, precipitate and all that stuff. So plenty more to play out. Yeah, I guess what do you see as a timeline on this, Trav? Mate, it's all going to come down to that 5th of July. You know, are they? is there going to be greater than 90% by 5th of July or not? And, and my question to you, mate, is like, can, is there any party that would have an incentive to wedge themselves in um, like on King, the like King did with uh, Dacian, like yeah, a similar yeah. play like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can even think a bit more abstract because Wailu's plans are big and broad, you know, is there anyone that, that would sort of have any benefit from just wedging themselves on the Mincor register and, and causing a bit of, a bit of, um, a bit of trouble? I guess what, I guess what would be the benefit um, if they did wedge themselves in? Like because it obviously makes life a lot more difficult for Mincor, even though they're a majority shareholder. It just still makes things difficult well, when you haven't got that. Does it give you floor. leverage to cast another deal with them in some other way? You know, all, all these sorts of things. Yeah. So, like, what you could spitball that uh, another junior in that area, not a junior, but a mid cap nickel potential, could wedge themselves in there to try and then get Wilo to take them or would yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's one potential. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a whole bunch of – I'm re- I'd be really curious to know, um, like, who's holding off on the offer. And, and frankly, some people just uh, – like, like I, you know, the, the share register is probably just a bunch of um, a bunch of shareholders with a very low amount that just haven't, you know, checked their mail or whatnot. But, you know, probably, if yeah, there is Some another, people wouldn't even know they had them or bloody have access to them yeah. or they're but if tied there is, up in a super somewhere. If there's someone there sitting at 4.9 or a couple of, a couple of you know, entities there at 4.9%, so it's not coming up as a substantial shareholder, um, I'd be really curious to, to sort of know what those en- entities are. But um, we'll keep watching this one, mate. I think, you know, it'll all sort of pan out by the, fi- by the 5th of July and there'll prob- probably be a resolution and talking about Mincor will be um, less and less relevant to the money miners. But until then, mate, um, we'll, uh, we'll keep following it. So easy. Thanks, Trav. Lovely work. I think it seems like hostile takeovers take a bit longer because it can get to this stage where you're trying to find all these minority shareholders and trying what? to get it over the line and it can really... And this is without anyone wedging themselves in there. That it, would have really made it a bloody This one cluster. actually looked like it was going to be a lot damn faster than any other takeover I'd ever seen because, you know, like a scheme just takes ages because you need these court hearings and there's a bloody big scheme document. This was like uh, – it, it could have been as fast as lodging a bid on um, 21st of March and it have been completed um, by sort of early May. So that's like – 
that is a rapid turnaround, right? Like, you know, of course they've extended the period and extended the period because um, gathering it all up sort of takes time. And normally there's a bit of um, change in the price along the way, but this one was just, you know, that price has stayed the same. Mm. So, but it looked like it was going to be pretty damn quick. Um, and, but there's been nothing but, I guess, negative between the off-spec and the now the deck covenant side mm. of things. So it's like lends to the fact of well, why people are hanging on if there's negative stuff that could potentially yep. risk the whole thing. And that's the, the argument that you sort of see talked about in, in, in the, the Mincor announcement today. Yep. Right, next one. Uh, so developed DVP put out an announcement. They're in the paper and everything. So they've formed a contracting joint venture with Jawal Contracting Services. So uh, aimed at securing contracts of up to $50 million. So now I'll put it up on YouTube here, a little picture. Jawal is the... the determination area, the native title area in and around Leinster. Um, so Leinster's sort of right on the bottom or just on the map there. You'll see you've got IGO, so Decius, you've got Bellevue Gold, so they're right next door to each other. So north of that, you've got Liontown, Kathleen Valley. So the native landholders are the Jawal people for that area. So, gotcha. Um, you've got some other mines in, in, in amongst that area. Yeah, so too. you've got Agnew just to the left. Mount then Keith. Mount Keith above that, um, further up that highway, heading yeah. up toward Waluna. So and there's, oh, there's uh, cliffs in there as well. There's, yeah. uh, so this group would have... We've, you know, done a, done a bunch of these sort of yeah, bit, yeah. Bit, so been pretty familiar with with the the involvement of mining yeah. companies. Well, they are the I know Tony Ottaviano uh, spoke at I think it was Diggers um, talking about when I think it was their first like the first piece of material or hole that was dug at um, Kathleen Valley was like the Jawal people were there to dig that hole like and be part of that whole process. Yeah. So the um, like I know Lontown have done a lot. Um, a lot with that, yeah. Uh, the native title holders there. So, and I'm going to talk into talk about look why this is so important for the mining industry that these relationships are in place mm. and there's good relationships between the mining companies and the t- native title holders. So, look what what's developed up to here. So they're to to break it down. There they start. They're going to help fund this contracting service. They're going to it's like a JV with the aim to I guess set them up get them going, get them capable to then take on uh, full ownership of this. And so what they're going to be doing, the first up, one of the contracts will be the run of mine pad management at Bellevue Gold. So they'll be, you know, operating the ROM loader to feed the crusher and things like that. And they also talk about um, doing light vehicle, the light vehicle maintenance contract um, and then supplying people, uh, PPE and everything. So as I said, estimated at 50 million bucks over three years. So how, does, how does that, the, the 50 million bucks, can you talk me through how that, like how that funding kind of works out? Um, oh, they, I assume they would just figure out, so Bellevue Gold would pay um, the JV, yep. which is I think called, they will pay Jawal Contracting Services. Um, yep. They'll agree to say, right, based on, this amount of equipment, this amount of labour and everything, this is what we pay you to yeah. run this portion of the Con- business. Contracting arrangement, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so the, I guess it's all like a, um, without the actual contract being in place, it's an estimated value um, yeah. of what it's going to be worth. So same as same as when a company says what the contract's going to be worth for a, a mining contract. So before it's actually finalised, they say this is the estimated value of what that contract's going to be worth. The revenue, that's the revenue they're going to bring in. Yep. Um, so now this this setup is uh, 
looks appears to be very similar to what Tease did with Willamara in 2015. So Tease, the um, big open pit contractor. So Willamara, they're up in the up in the Pilbara area near for the Solomon where the Solomon hub is for Fortescue. So in 2015, so Tease and Willamara signed a JV to support the non-process infrastructure at the Solomon hub for Fortescue Metals, and now. They went through that process. Willamara have now taken full control of that part of that JV, which is what Develop said that uh, Jawal will do once they're fully capable. And look, Fortescue then, I'll go through what they provided, but they've just awarded $179 million worth of contracts to Willamara. So that's where they've got to. So it's other, I guess, other examples of where the traditional landowners and Indigenous communities get involved in these mining in mining operations you've got like burn cut they're partnered with uh, boab so that's they implement indigenous employment programs um supply um give indigenous people an opportunity to work at mine sites and so that's that side of things uh sms mining services so they're a founding partner of the uh i apologize i'll go with the pronunciations of these everyone so uh malpramara i think uh connection so that's they started that it's a non-for-profit organization that provides aboriginal youth in remote communities with uh education and employment opportunities so then you've got as I said, I mentioned Tease in 2015. They went into JV with Willamara. And as I said, Fortescue awarded $179 million in contracts to Willamara and Eastern Garama in 2019. So that for road maintenance, resource definition services, non-process infrastructure at the Solomon Hub. I think I saw in their Fortescue's website they've um, – offered about, I think it was two over $2 billion worth of contracts to Indigenous companies since 2011. Yeah. So Fortescue seemed to be um, really at the forefront of this side of things. Then you've got Emico. So they've got, they own Force and Pit and Portals. They partnered with Kuwa and that was a Indigenous equipment hire company based in WA. So they supply cut for Waluna, Leonora, um, educational opportunities, employment opportunities. So there, I guess they're some of the players in this field. So I guess I wanted to talk about today why this is important and what, I guess, why companies have to be on the front foot of getting uh, these Indigenous people in the workforce and maintaining good relationships. So from a contract perspective, so look at, I guess, look at what developer doing right now. If when you go to tender for a mining contract, let's say the Lion Town contract that's out for tender yeah. at the moment, so you can you could be the best miner, have the best execution, um, the best people, the lowest cost. But if you when you go into that tender meeting, one of the big questions is, and is with everyone, um, what's your capability with the, what is with your locals? ESG capability, yeah. and specifically, um, what are you doing to help? Uh, promote Indigenous people in the workforce and what are you doing to help Indigenous communities around you? Mm. I mean, it's probably not that specific question, but that's that's the line. What What is your capability for ESG? So, so you, go, you, going into a contract meeting and saying, look, we are, we've just done a JV with the Jawal Contracting Services. We're getting... That, that is our plan to get more Indigenous people in our workforce and help the Indigenous communities that if, if, if you don't have that, you're not, you're not seen as a, a favourable mining company right. because you're, you're, not, you're not on the front foot with ESG. And like 
maintaining those positive relationships with the um, the native title holders, um, massive. So you massive think, you think that this, this uh, arrangement with you know, d- d- develop and, and the local landowners from an employment sense in a joint venture actually builds their capability with that very same landowner group which would be relevant to a tender process for Kathleen Valley at the moment? Yeah, it, you companies, Martin, you could easily not get given a mining contract right. because you don't have any um, – you don't have they don't see you to have enough credentials in yeah. ESG or with indigenous workforce and things like that it's a it's a massive part of um, what makes mining com contractors and and companies um, appealing to to engage with so being on the front foot it's um it's it's a absolute necessity with this sort of stuff because you think of what WA mining is um, if the mining companies have poor relationships with the native title holders and the whole industry is just like permitting is just drawn out. Permits won't even be issued. You yeah. won't be able to get you won't be able to get the um the native title agreements. If those relationships are poor, yeah. um, mining just does not happen. So oh, totally. the, I mean, this sort the... of stuff here is what like is is why it is so important to maintain yeah. these good relationships. And and I think uh, the Gorge overarch- is in is in everyone's recent memory, right? Yeah. And, and exactly. I think that's kind of case in point and kind of how things can all go horribly wrong. Yeah. Um and, and with mining companies like generating all this revenue, like the giving, I guess, indigenous people the opportunity to work in it and giving, I guess, the, the native title holders the uh, revenue share and equity portion of being involved in businesses just I guess as they talk about helps close the gap um, which is a yeah so that's um I guess they're the examples of who's doing it well in the industry as yeah. I said developer on the front foot with um sorting this partnership it sounds as I said Fortescue sounds like they're really really on the um at the leading the pack with what they're doing with indigenous workforces so yeah um, and that closing the gap point mate like you know you think about um what what actually you know, it's 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 it, you could have you could have arrangements that are purely financial, but unless you're kind of building capability and internal capability through employment opportunities, then then um you know what's the real potential of kind of improving educational outcomes and employment outcomes um, yep. over time? It's it's pretty tough, right? So you need the employment piece to come together, and that's where stuff like this matters a lot. Exactly. Now, look, I know, and I know a lot of nearly every mining company is is big in this field so um, apologies if you're doing a lot out there and I didn't didn't mention you but they're the first ones I uh, uh, come across today so um, but there's plenty every every company's very heavily involved in this side of things so what's your read through on this one in terms like I read this and I think does, does that give Bill a front row seat to the line down contract now is there is there some read through on kind of having a bit of an edge now uh, I wouldn't. I don't think it'd be seen as an edge. I think it's more. I think it'd be more. If you don't have it, you you remove yourself. Like if you if you're right. not on the front foot with helping yep. the indigenous involvement, um, you can doesn't give you a front row seat, but you can be literally scratched yep. off yep. if um if you're not doing the right thing in the ASJ apartment. Like it's as simple as that. So, look this this partnership. It's, it's said in the announcement that uh, they would provide contracting services in the Jawal region. Mm. We know Lion Town's just north of Bellevue, so it will be in that region. So, look, if you're when they're presenting their tender, mm. they say, "Look, we've got uh, this JV with Jawal contracting services. We can provide um, 
a we can do we can do the rompad management at, at Kathleen Valley. It's uh, and we've got the with, with the with, with, the, with yeah. the native landowners and yeah, it's a that's a it's a big big, big tick and and that's um that's exactly why and makes them look more favourable than someone that doesn't have that relationship. Yeah. So yeah, no, it is a big it is a big factor. Um, now, recap of all other news. Leo Lithium, so they've ex- executed a $106 million strategic placement. Gang Fen took the whole lot, so Gang Fen are in the JV with them for the Gulamina project. So uh, they're at a – it was actually raised at a premium, so the benefit, I guess, of a direct placement to the JV, 6.5% premium to the five-day VWAP, uh, giving them 99 interest in Leo. So they've got the 9.9% and then they've got secured the offtake. And they're, I think they're 50-50 JV for the project. Yep. So uh, sub, subject to regulatory approvals in China. Yep. Sounds, sounds easy, eh, Trav? Yeah, and it's also subject to the execution of this cooperation agreement, Yeah, which which includes some commitments to expand to a million tonnes per annum and, and, um, and gang fang. They get some expanded life of mine offtake rights, but the interesting thing too is that um, Leo, they, they sort of gain some access to, to some you know, hydroxide in exchange for that. Yeah, right. Now, Black Rock Mining signs binding offtake in US $10 million prepay with POSCO for their Mahang project. Take us into that, Trav. Binding long-term offtake agreement. Life bond octave for 100% concentrate from Module 1. Yep. Anything else stand out to you there? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, prepayment, clearly POSCO is pretty interested. They've got the, um, yeah, the, the, the sort of d- downstream sort of interest in the product there. So, um, you know, you've been playing a big role in kind of the, the financing of that um, graphite project. Right. Now, another historic little asset here, plutonic gold belt so catalyst metals who are consolidating the plutonic gold belt via the acquisition of vango and superior gold so they've announced that superior have scheduled their shareholder vote to occur 26th of june where they need 66.6 percent approval so yeah the the plutonic lives on so a new gold belt mate so yeah gonna get put put the two together vango and and uh superior and maybe maybe there's something of interest there maybe tba tba right cheers money miners we will see you geez we've got a good we've got a little good bit of business development to solve don't we travel we're hitting the big time <laughs> not telling you who but it's bloody big all right mate right hooray the information contained in this episode of money of mine is of general nature only and does not take into account the objectives financial situation or needs of any particular person before making any investment decision you should consult with your financial advisor and consider how appropriate the advice is to your objectives financial situation and needs